Good morning, brothers and sisters. If we could turn in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 5. Now, the task this morning is to cover the theme is the house of God. And it's the portion that was allotted to me was 1 Kings chapter 5 through 9. We certainly will not read the entire portion, every verse. I'm a slow reader, or probably it'll take me a half an hour to read those five chapters, but we most certainly will be looking into some verses, and with the help of the Lord, we'll be able to cover this theme, the house of God. First Kings chapter 5, I'm reading in verse 1, and Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king. In, in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how my father, David my father, could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God. For the wars which were about him on every side, until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side, so there is neither there is neither adversary nor evil occurrent. And behold, I propose to build uh, an house unto the name of, of, of the Lord my God, and as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build a house unto my name. Now therefore... Command thou that, thou that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon, and my servants shall be thy servants, and, un, and unto thee will I give hire for thy servants according to all that thou, thou shalt appoint, for thou knowest that there is not among us any that can, that can skill to hew uh, timber like the Sidonians, and it came to pass that when Hiram heard the voice of so- the, the voice the words of Solomon, that he rejoiced greatly, and said, "Blessed be the Lord this day, which he hath given unto David a wise son over this great people." And Hiram sent to Solomon, saying, "I have considered the things which thou sentest for me, and I will do all the desire concerning the timber and cedar." And concerning the timber and of the of fir, my servants shall bring them down the down from Lebanon unto the unto the sea, and I will convey them by the sea in floats unto the place that thou shalt appoint me, and will cause them to be discharged there, and thou shalt receive them, and thou shalt accomplish my desire, giving me food for my household. So Hiram gave Solomon cedar trees and fir trees according. To all his desire, and Solomon gave Hiram twenty thousand measures of wheat for food to his household, and twenty measures of pure oil that Solomon uh, gave to Hiram year by year. And the Lord gave Solomon wisdom, as he promised him. And there was peace between Hiram and Solomon, and the two made a league together. And King Solomon raised a levy out of Israel, and the levy was thirty thousand men. And he sent them to Lebanon, 10,000 month by month, month by course. Month, they were in Lebanon, two months at home. 
and and Adnoram was over the levy. And Solomon had threescore and ten thousand that bear burdens and fourscore thousand hewers in the mountains. And beside the chief of Solomon's officers, which were over the work, three thousand and three hundred, which ruled over the people that wrought in the work. And king, the king commanded that they brought that that they brought great stones, costly stones, and huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. And Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders, uh, they did hew them, and the stones and the stone squares, which they prepared uh, timbers, timbers and stones to build the house of God. Let's look to the Lord for guidance. As we consider these passages, our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful that you are a God that would desire to dwell amongst his people. That it is you who takes the initiative to reach out to a lost humanity, to provide a means for you to have communion and fellowship with such creatures such as us. By the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Father, we could have fellowship with God the Father. We ask your blessing upon your word this morning, Father. We would ask wisdom as we would read from it, Father. Give us open ears and hearts to take in thy word, Father, and let the name of the Lord Jesus Christ get the glory this morning. In his name we do pray. Amen. So here we come shortly after the passages that Brother Brian um, covered last week was about Solomon and how he would begin his reign. I was in here when Malcolm spoke the previous week of when Solomon would take the throne and there would be enemies of the throne that would have to be dealt with. But here we get to a point in time of his reign where really the story happened at the end of King David's life. When he would have desire to build God a house, he would say, Behold, I dwell in in a house of cedars, but my Lord, he dwells in a tent. And he would begin making preparations. And he would start, he would ask Nathan the prophet, right? He, he would go to the source and, and Nathan would say, King, do all that is in thine heart. And what a lesson it is to us just because somebody is requesting to do something that seems to be good, that's going to be beneficial for the assembly, something that's going to be beneficial spiritually, go on. We should always look to the Lord for that answer first. And even though Nathan, in his heart, he probably didn't have any, any bad conscience in the decision he made, the Lord surely spoke up. And, said, and told Nathan, this is not going to happen. David has too much blood in his hands. He, he waged too much war, as uh, Solomon would briefly describe. And David, being a man after God's own heart, it was, it was not just a thought that David had, but it was a thought that most likely the Lord put in David's heart. Not for him to physically build him the house. He would say, your son will build me a house. And it goes, you're not going to build me a house, David. I'm going to build you a house. And the blessing of the Lord would be upon the house of David. And there never shall fail one of the seed of David to sit on the throne. And that's even true today as our Lord Jesus Christ sits on the throne, seated at the right hand of the Father. In Romans, it describes Jesus Christ, the son of David. God is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. And so here, Solomon, after the matters have been dealt the first three or four years of his reign, now he goes directly 
to what his father had commanded. And David, being a man after God's own heart, he would prepare. He, he physically didn't build a temple, but he made the design, and the Lord would reveal that to him. And he would, uh, with all his might, get all the material, all the costly material, gold, silver, bronze, uh, to, to prepare in preparation of constructing uh, the house of God. Now, I would like to mention that a lot of times we refer this to Solomon's temple, Solomon's temple, Solomon's temple. And we say that just to identify the structure. It is not Solomon's temple. It is the house of God. Remember that God is the one that, who, that would dwell. It is God's name. And we refer to a Solomon's temple because there was a second temple. This temple, unfortunately, was destroyed. And the sec- second temple was erected in the time of Ezra. And in that temple was also sacked. And between the 400 years of silence and the times of the Maccabees, um, there was uh, from the, the Greek Empire, when it split after Alexander the Great, and Daniel had a vision of this, when he would see uh, a horn, a, a, a beast with a horn that was very mighty, and nobody could stand against it. And this, it had a horn that, that, that broke into four. And, and this would speak of that Greek Empire that would split into four, and one of those uh, powers came and would would defile the temple. It was a very dark time in the history of uh, Israel's history where they would go and erect an, uh, uh, an altar for Zeus, would sacrifice uh, a pig in the altar, and Daniel would refer to this as the abomination that makes desolate. Very dark time. So when we're referring to the temple of Solomon, it's not to give Solomon the glory, but just to identify which structure it is. Now, there's a lot of technicality and descriptive in these portions of Scripture. But remember, saints, all Scripture is inspired. We can't just uh, uh, read over it and pretending that it has no importance, no significance, because it is the Word of God. It is alive, and we should take it seriously. So as we consider these, these uh, passages, uh, chapter 5, we could say this is the preparation of, that Solomon makes before construction. So he, he goes to somebody that was very dear friend to his father David, a Gentile, a, a Sidonian king. Imagine that, somebody from a pagan nation. But this Sidonian king, apparently, from the few verses that we read about him, it seems that he has some knowledge of the true and living God. And he would respond to uh, Solomon in verse 7, Blessed be the Lord this day. This is the king, a Gentile king. And imagine that through the testimony of David and through the friendship, this king would come to know the true and living God. And that should be a, a testimony to us even this day, that the testimony of Christ is something that the saints need to protect, that they need to uphold. It's not by what you preach, what you say, but by the very life that you live. And he would go and make a league with this king Hiram from Tyre. And the reason being is that there was a great resource there called Cedars of Lebanon. It's a very fine wood. Even to this day, that is one of the finest wood that you could buy in today's market. And Solomon would be wise 
This is already God would have endowed wisdom upon Solomon. And Solomon would see this resource, and not only would he want the material, but he would also want the know-how on how to build uh, people, workmen, that were skilled laborers in working with this cedar. He also prepares a, in my, in my Bible, this is the King James Version, it says a levy. This is, uh, you can think of it, a collection, a workforce. Now imagine the riches that Solomon had. And he uh, used all his resources to acquire the best material, the best laborers, and he also had to provide uh, himself, uh, by, from his own people, laborers, for this great task. He wanted this house to be like no other. And there probably hasn't stood a temple like this in the history of humanity, the riches and the wealth that went into it, the house of God. In verses 13 through 18, the laborers come together, and then there's that beautiful verse, and the king commanded, and they brought great stones, costly huge stones to lay the foundation of the house. Now, brothers and sisters, I do not want to be fanciful by any means, but my mind goes thousands of years later to the very church, the house of God. Amen? That's what we are, the house. This building, this physical building that we we work so hard to clean month by month, that we try to maintain, there's a lot of things that go behind the scenes. And be encouraged, the Lord sees that. And you'll be surprised at the people that get the greatest reward in heaven are not the people that are standing in this pulpit, speaking publicly, but those are the prayer warriors, the humble servants of God that do the things behind the scenes to maintain the facilities. But this building is not the house of God. The church is. In Isaiah 28:16, it would read, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay a stone in Zion for foundation, a cornerstone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This very verse would be quoted by the Apostle Peter in the book, in the, in the epistle, 1 Peter chapter 2. And here we see uh, that they're, they're great, getting these greatly costly stones. Anybody involved in construction nowadays? We still build in this type of manner. We don't cut great stones, but we do lay footers and foundation for every building to be laid upon. And as a matter of fact, let's go to Second Peter. And uh, and see what Peter would have to say. And verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4 says, To whom coming as an unto a living stone... Disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Isn't that what Christ is? It was despised. He was despised of men. He came to his own. His own received them not. He came. He healed the brokenhearted. He set the captives free. He made the blind to see. And yet, when the, the, the matter came, they would say, we will not have this man to reign over us and they crucified him but still chosen of god ye also as living stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god by jesus christ wherefore 
It is also contained in Scripture, and there's the verse that I, I read from the book of Isaiah, going down to verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which you believe, he is precious, but unto them be disobedient the stone which the builders disallowed. The same is made the head cornerstone. And the stone, a stumbling block, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto were also they were appointed. And here we see when, when, when Christ came, the word of God was revealed to humanity. And he would reveal who he was. You believe in God, believe also in me. What are these strange things? These people that, uh, that, that studied and knew that there was one God. And then there's this one individual that would come. It says that the light would come to the world. And the darkness could not comprehend. It would, it would read in, in, in John chapter 1. And, and they would hear the, him saying, and, and it would be something offensive. And, and God knowing this, and Christ knowing this, he would reveal himself, his person, who he was. And he would tell his disciples, you believe in God. Believe also in me. I and the Father are one. The Son can do nothing if, it defa- if, it, if it's not with the Father's will. And, and he would go and he would die on Calvary. And he would reveal himself to leave no doubt that he was God, the very one, with a veil of flesh. And yet, even today, we see in majority the, 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 the nation of the Jews is still a stumbling block for them. And it becomes something offensive. They would say, Yeshua, that's not God. And they would complain and they would stick to the old covenant. And a lot of them would still be lost, brothers and sisters. We need to pray for Israel. Not for their politics, for their power. Yes, we need to pray for their well-being. But more importantly, that they may be saved. And God has not given up on that nation. But going back to our passage, so we see this foundation was laid. And we could think of the foundation, the cornerstone, the one that holds the, the, the rows of the different stones together is Christ. And he is our foundation. The foundation of the gospel is Christ. He's the foundation of the church, the cornerstone, the living, precious cornerstone. And how descriptive it is in this verse that these stones were great stones. They were costly and they were huge. They took great care to prepare these stones by the quarry, and they would bring these stones to fit perfectly. And that's the foundation that we have in Christ. He is our cornerstone. And again, let me be fanciful. For the cedars that were laid upon this foundation, they were Gentile cedars, were they not? They were not from the Holy Land. They were Gentile cedars. And here we could see uh, that the gospel, when it would uh, be spread out with, through Christ to not just the Jews, but to all nations, that they all could come and know the true Messiah. And, and Christ would be the foundation. And we, the church, are the building. And this is just pointing to great things to come. And that pretty much would come up, chapter 5, and that's good. We're doing good on time. We have 10 minutes to cover the next four chapters. The Lord is behind us. So we're going to pick up the pace a little bit. But it is worthy to note that God's desire is to be with his people. We see that from the very beginning of time. The very first chapters, 
in the book of Genesis, he would create his creation and he would say it's very good. The sixth day he would say it's very good. And, and he would commune with Adam and Eve in the garden. It says when they fell that, that they would hear the voice of the Lord walking in the cool of day. He would desire to be with them. Unfortunately, the frails and the, the, the defects of humanity when they sin, it would go on and affect every generation even up to now. And there would be barriers that would come up because God is holy. He cannot see sin. You would think of Moses when he would plead with the Lord, let me see your glory. And God would tell him, you cannot see my glory. You're going to be consumed, Moses. And he would tell him, stand on the mountain. And he would see a glimpse of the glory of God. And God would be reaching out, wanting to commune with his people. He would speak to the tribe of Israel from the mountain. And it says that the whole earth shook with great lightning. And it was something so terrifying that the people were like, Moses, let not the voice from heaven speak to us. You go speak to him. And they had to get an interce- somebody to intercede for the people to, to speak with them. But nonetheless, God would desire to be with his people. So Solomon would, would begin the construction of the temple in verse uh, 1, it would tell us when he would begin the construction of the temple, um, how much after they left Egypt. If you do your math correctly, some scholars have, it's about uh, 967 B.C. when the temple was erected. And they would do it with all their might. It says that the temple itself was constructed in seven years. It was a hard task. We're not going to go into the cubits, into the porch, into the pomegranates or the pillars, but we will stop in verse 11. It would say, the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, concerning this house, which thou art building. Here's the Lord graciously Speaking to Solomon, revealing himself to Solomon, he had revealed himself many times to his father David. And he would confirm the path that Solomon is taking in building the house. But listen to this. He basically reaffirms the covenant, the old covenant. If thou will walk in my statutes, execute my judgments and keep all my commandments to walk in them, I will perform my word with thee which I spake unto thy father, David thy father, and I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will not forsake people, my people. This is God speaking. This is God's promises. Like I mentioned, God is a covenant-keeping God. How many of you have had a promise broken before? I myself have experienced that, and more to my shame, I've broken more promises than I could remember. You know, you have good intentions at work. I promise a, such such person from whatever project, I'm going to have this done for you by this date. And they call me, David, you have failed me once again. And I could just lower my head and say, I'm trying, man. I'm trying. I'm just overwhelmed with work. But still, this is the God of eternity. This is the transcendent God. He transcends time. He has ever faithful to his people. He never, fa- he doesn't fail. 
And he says that he will not forsake. He's a covenant-keeping God. If you have buy something and you buy a warranty for it and it breaks, and then you go to the manufacturer, and guess what? The manufacturer's out of business. Do you think they're going to go through and replace your product? But this is the God that doesn't fail. If he says that he's making a promise, keeping a covenant, it is not him who will fail. And it's a sad thing when you consider this covenant. This is what you would call a two-party covenant. The Lord says, if you will, I will do this, 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 and this. But to enter the covenant, you have to keep your portion of it. And it would... It would come to a point in history, we know, that the temple would fall. It would be sacked by the Babylonians. They would take all the holy articles and the people would be taken captive. But nonetheless, towards the end of chapter 7, in verse 30, it says, In the eleventh year, on the month of Bull, which the eighth month was the house of the Lord finished throughout all the parts thereof, according to the fashion, so he was seven years in building it. If you read the, the, the next chapter, in chapter 7, there is, we're not going to look into that chapter for sake of time and for the context. Our context is really the house of God. And here he would describe uh, Solomon building his house. It would you know, take him 13 years to build uh, Solomon's, Solomon's palace. Um, you know, I've, I've heard it say, you know, was King Solomon's heart wrong here? Why did it take him? He spent more time building his house. But then you could do, look at the other side of the coin. Maybe he was more hastily and more willing, and he spent more time and effort and strength in constructing the house of God. At this time, Solomon had not turned from the things of the Lord. I would think it would be the latter. And there's also thing, other things. He would hi- hire another Hiram, not the king of Tyre but another Sidonian who was very skilled in bronze. And he would produce uh, these pillars, which are described in great detail. He would uh, make the sea. Now, this is kind of like the labor. The labor was a lot smaller. And he would, he would cast it, and it would be uh, bared on, on a couple of bulls, well, actually more than a couple. And uh, there were also create 10 extra labors, tables. All the holy articles would be brought in. And the temple would be uh, constructed. Um, I would like to point out, you know, me and Brian actually were talking about this. There is a wealth of comparison of types of Christ when it comes to the tabernacle. When you, you think of the tabernacle, why does this, the scripture dwell so much? And it spends the, almost the entirety of the books of Moses describing the tabernacle, the different sacrifices. It's because it's very descriptive of typology of Christ. The, the Solomon's temple, or the, the, the temple that was built, uh, there's not much typology, if any, given. We could make comparisons as we did the stones and, and the basic comparisons with the tabernacle. It was very different structure. It was twice the size. It had a lot more furniture. Uh, the, the labor was not just the labor. It was called a seat. It was that large. Um, all in all, it's God reaching out to humanity. He wants to dwell with his people. If you think of the tabernacle, there was one door. Christ would say, I am the 
door. There's one door to enter. When, as soon as you would walk into a tabernacle, what would be the first article you would see? The brazen altar. It would be by, if you're going to approach Christ, God, there has to be a sacrifice, atonement made. And it speaks of Christ shedding his blood on Calvary. And, and the comparisons to the types just keep going on and on. The, the labor, you think of that passage when Christ would be washing the disciples' feet in, in John chapter 13. And he would tell Peter, if you are washed, there's no need of, for you to be washed again, just to be basically cleansed. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sin, First John would say. And all these, these uh, rules and, and um, furniture and provision was made to, for God to dwell amongst his people. And ultimately, God would dwell amongst his people in this house. He would accept it. Um, in, in, verse, in chapter 8 is the dedication of the temple. After the temple was furnished, shortly after the Levites came in, brought all the articles, and then he brought the holiest furniture, which was the throne of God, the very uh, where the Shekinah glory would dwell right up above the cherubim of the ark. And they would place it. And in verse 10 of chapter 8, it says, And it came to pass, when the priests were come out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord. And the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. And listen, look, look at this next verse. It says, Then spake Solomon the Lord, I mean, spake Solomon, and then spake Solomon the Lord, that he dwelleth in the thick darkness. I surely built thee a house to dwell in, a settled place for thee to abide forever. Now, what is Solomon referring to here? The, 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 the temple was consecrated. It was dedicated. As soon as they placed the throne of God, the Shekinah glory filled, and, and the people would see the presence of God through a veil. And they would know that the Lord is dwelling amongst his people in the temple. And yet Solomon would say that he would dwell in thick darkness. Was there any light, any lamps inside the holiest of holies? No. There was a thick veil that covered it. And here is the presence of God. Who It's, it's, it's a wonder that a building, doesn't matter how magnificent it could be, that a building on this earth, could contain him. And he would come and he would dwell in this small room, minuscule compared to how grand God is, how great he is. And he would dwell, and he is the only source of light there. And he would dwell in darkness. Imagine the contrast how it is now to the believer. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Having boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living wage, which he had consecrated for us through the veil, which is the flesh, that sacrifice that was made on Calvary. How there was so many restrictions. How it could only be the high priest, not just from the family of Levites, but the high priest could enter the holiest once a year for the Day of Atonement and then sprinkle the blood. And even then, uh, the, the smoke that would come from the incense would veil, and, and he would in a sense, be burning the, the incense, and it would veil the very presence of God. And how different it is, different it is now 
when we have such a high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us, that we could have access, access to the very throne of grace. And oh, brothers and sisters, it doesn't just stop there. One day we will see him face to face. As our brother Mike described this morning, the hymn writer would say, the veil is rent. Lo, Jesus stands before the throne of grace. And he's there even today making intercession for us. Seeing as we have a lot of time left, let's go ahead and go to chapter um, in chapter 9. Oh, I'm sorry. Before we go into chapter 9, Solomon goes on to, uh, after the temple is consecrated, is dedicated, uh, the people are blessed, he turns and he starts saying a prayer. Now, I don't know if I'm wrong, but this seems to me uh, that this might be the longest recorded prayer in Scripture. And Solomon would go on to, to pray and, inter- and, and asking for the people. And, and, and the, the pattern of the prayer is basically... If there is uh, a drought because of the people's sin, that they would turn towards the temple and pray to the God of the temple and that he would take away their sin and that they would be reign again. If there was defeat because of, of, of armies, they would pray towards the temple and the Lord again would come and liberate his people through famine, pestilence, even law disputes. But the, the verse that caught me, my attention is in verse 41. Moreover, concerning a stranger, that is a Gentile, that is not thy, of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake, for they shall hear thy great name, and of thy, thro- thy strong hand, and thy stretched out arm, and when he shall come and pray towards the house, hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth for thee to thee for that all the people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee as do thy people Israel and that they know may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name here we are even Gentiles would benefit from this house of God they could pray upon it non-Jewish converts could even pray to God. And even Solomon goes on to, he, he even, the Lord would reveal a little bit of prophecy to him, and he would see the captivity. And one of the, the prayer items of prayer is if, if your people that are captive uh, would turn to you, that they would pray towards the temple. And he, my mind will go on to uh, this young man named J- Daniel, as he would pick up the scripture. Are you picking up the scripture, brother and sister? Are you reading it? As he would pick up scripture and read the book or the, 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 the letter of, of Jeremiah. He would be, how, when's the last time we read the book of Jeremiah? I know we covered it a little bit on the youth, uh, the youth group this Friday. And he would read the, that the Lord would restore them after 70 years. And, and, and Daniel would, would face towards Jerusalem. And he would bow and he would pray. And he wouldn't stop praying. And the Lord would reveal to him. And, 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 and the, the prayers would come true. And then in chapter 9, the Lord appears to Solomon a second time and basically reaffirms the same thing that he told them the first time. And verse 4 says, If thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness, 
to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and will keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of the kingdom upon Israel forever. He is a covenant-keeping God. And the failure to this temple being sacked by the Babylonians, and the, the failure of the second temple being sacked by the Greeks, and then ultimately when that temple got turned into the temple of Herod, that one, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said that there's not one stone that's going to be standing because of the failure of man. How men have failed to keep their, 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 um, to keep their parts uh, when it comes to covenants with God. But praise the Lord that we're not under the old covenant anymore. We are under the new covenant In closing, I don't want to leave it there in a low note. God dwelling amongst his people. It's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing that a God would desire to be with his people. We discussed a little bit about the tabernacle. We now discussed Solomon's temple and how we see that there's not really typology that we can relate to from Solomon's temple to the, in the New Testament, but it's almost all about the tabernacle. And, and one commentator writes, no, there's no way of knowing for sure, but maybe we will be enlightened more in the new heavens and new earth when God himself would reign. Maybe th- there's the, these articles and the way this temple was built would point more towards the new heavens and new earth. We don't know. But then there is, we also described the, the second temple in Herod's time. Imagine this, the Shekinah glory was not there. The priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees would corrupt their teachings and would lead the people astray. And who else but the very presence of God, veiled in flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, would walk and daily teach in the temple. And he would teach and reveal who he was. He would tell them in, in Mark chapter 12, verse 35, about who the Christ is. How is he David's son? In Matthew chapter 21 verse 12, he would go and he would cleanse the temple. He would say, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. In Matthew chapter 24, he tells of the destruction of the physical building. And in Matthew chapter 26, before he's arrested in verse 55, Christ would tell him, daily, I was teaching before you at the temple, and you come at night as a thief to arrest me. The very one whom they thought they were serving was there, and he was cast out and hung on a cross. Jesus Christ. But praise the Lord be to God for that sacrifice. Through that Holy One who knew no sin, God made him sin for us. Our Savior died. My soul to win. It's a beautiful thought when you think of Christ, Him coming in the temple where the Shekinah glories departed, not veiled, but He was there in person where they could touch Him. We discussed a little bit how Christ dwells in us. I would just like to read a couple of verses in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, very known passage. In verse 20, it says, 
and are built upon a foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We covered that, how that was even described in Solomon's temple. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for the inhabitation of God through the Spirit. That's us, brothers and sisters, the current house of God. There's no temple. There's no shrine. We don't have to go to Israel to, to, to go see where God is dwelling. Christ in us, the marvel of it, brother and sister. And just to close, seeing as we're past time, the ultimate goal, the ultimate, yes. And our brother Mike described this morning how wonderful it is to come and remember Christ through the eyes of faith, behold him through the scriptures to see his loving kindness towards us, what he has done, the blessings he bestowed upon us to, that we could call out with Paul, blessed be the God or Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But there's going to come a time where in 1 John chapter, chapter 3, it says we shall see him as he is. We're going to be transformed, be given a new body. And then there's going to be no sin and we're going to see him face to face. One day he's coming. Oh, the glorious day. In Revelations chapter 21, we'll close off with this. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Let's look to the Lord as we close the scriptures. Our gracious Lord and our Father, we're so thankful for these Old Testament stories that, that would you, you can't venture too far off without thinking of Christ. How they would all point to him, to his glory, to his sacrifice, to his loving kindness towards us. And how, how we were redeemed when we were in the market of sin, Father, how you have lifted us up from the miry clay, how you have given us the power to become children of God. And oh, the marvel of it, how one day Christ shall come back and take his bride home and, and, and to just leave it off. It's not just take us to heaven, but one day we shall, that he, he'll move over and, and make room on the throne and we shall ever reign with thee, Father. The glorious thoughts that are discussed and discovered in your scripture. Father, let us hold fast to these thoughts, to these passages in scripture. Let us live our lives as if Christ was coming today. We ask for your blessing upon the congregation. In your son's most precious name we pray. Amen.